0: This episode is made possible by our generous patrons. To learn more, visit patreon.com forward slash Inktofilm. Welcome to the Ink to Film Podcast, where we read the book and then see the
1: movie. I'm James. And I'm Luke. And this week we discuss Steven Spielberg's 1975 blockbuster, Jaws. Here we are at episode 50... Five 0 Can't believe yep. it, man. That's, that's a lot of hours of podcasting.
0: Yeah, it's not quite a year. I was looking, I think our one-year anniversary is on episode 53 or around 53, but that's a weird number, so I think we celebrate episode 50. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, uh, it's, each of our episodes are about an hour plus, so you can probably, probably safely say it's like somewhere in the vicinity of like 60 to
0: 70 hours worth of podcasting. Yeah, and, and then a couple bonus episodes for the Patreon as well. Yeah, it's. I, I think I've learned a lot over, the, over this last year. I think, hopefully, it's gotten better. <laughs> I think so.
1: I think we've improved for sure. Yeah.
0: This is a great uh, project to be on, I think, for our 50th as well, because this movie is incredible, and the experience of watching it after reading the book i think was really ex- i don't know it was just really cool i wasn't even expecting it to be as different as it felt for, you know it was yeah. like watching a different movie almost it was crazy
1: yeah i mean this is this is one of those movies that it's not as close to my heart as jurassic park but it might be it's debatable which one's better but this one this one is like obviously it came first so Jurassic yeah. Park is probably successful because of this movie, um, but oh, it's definitely. one that's very close to me, uh, and it's Spielberg who shaped our our childhood. So it's a great one to do for Episode Fifty.
0: Well, and you love it so much that you decided to shave your beard and have the exact quint uh, mustache and sideburns. Yeah, unfortunately, <laughs> I had like I had trimmed up my beard on the on the sides too short to really have the really really bushy sideburns. Perfect, man! You just got to get that. You just got to master that kind of like mumble, but laugh he does all the time and cackle mm-hmm. and the song yeah the yeah spanish. oh yeah you just gotta break into song a bunch of times yeah about the spanish lady yeah <laughs> <laughs> all right God. so um that character is so good but uh, do you want to do a, a quick like look back what's the first episode that comes to your head right
1: now first episode in all of the episode? 50
0: well i mean i'm gonna always hold a special place in my heart for those opening episodes with it because that was our first project and we were so <laughs> we had no idea what we were doing and I felt like we were kind of like stumbling around in the dark. And so much of what we did just kind of like accidentally or or just made a decision like, oh, we're going to do it this way. Like so much of that has affected what the podcast was going on. Like we didn't even like think about that we were setting this, you know, the blueprint for how this podcast was going to go. But for the most part, we've stuck to that, I think. Yeah, it, it basically like we've perfected things here and there, but it's basically
1: the same podcast all the way through. So we... I like that we tweak things and, and we continue to try to get better. Those those episodes are great. They are funny because it is us kind of just like stumbling around and getting really super in-depth to every minute detail to where we had five episodes that were, you know, hours, oh, yeah. and two hours long and stuff sometimes.
0: Yeah, and we and I've definitely, especially I think the first one or two episodes, um, you can tell how nervous at least I was. <laughs> oh, we, yeah, both of us were. I, I wasn't even comfortable hearing myself
1: recorded. And I work, you know, I work in film and TV and all that, and like hearing my voice, even in the background of like whatever stuff I was not comfortable with, and then you know, two three
0: episodes in, it doesn't
1: bother me at all anymore. So,
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, at least I, I don't know, I still, I still don't really know how I feel about my own voice, but. I definitely have gotten used to it more gotten mm-hmm. and gotten to the point where I, I can hear it without just cringing constantly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so hopefully that's a good sign. So I guess an episode that, that jumps out to me, for, first of all,
1: every episode that we have a guest on has really yeah. like been such a fun experience and bonding experience with somebody that, that maybe I didn't know or you didn't know. And it's just, it's just it's really fun. Those ones jump out to me a lot. I really liked the Jurassic Park, Emily Saveda one recently. And yeah. I, speaking of another one, that I haven't listened to since, it, since we recorded it, but I really enjoyed our conversation on, and the movie was so great, was the when Remy was on for the, the Annihilation coverage.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah, I think I actually have checked out that episode since because that movie's so cool. and like I wanted to kind of re-experience my initial because mm-hmm. I really loved it seeing it. So I wanted to kind of re I wanted to hear myself be joyous about seeing it, I guess if that makes any sense. yeah, I mean it's it's been it's been great. the The podcast has definitely opened up things for me and and given me something to talk about at, conventions I go to and all sorts of stuff like that um so it's been it's been very cool and and i I don't know i mean we're really thankful that people listen and that you know especially our patrons are helping us keep this thing going and i don't know it's just been really cool and and so it's 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 so it's so nice to see that people react well to it and respond
1: to it yeah i mean that's the best part is is having people who actually enjoy listening to it and interact with us and stuff it it makes it worth it. it makes all the you know, the hours of editing or
0: recording and watching and reading and it just it's so much fun. Yeah, it's become part of my like life now, you know what I mean? Like my daily, my weekly stuff, you know, life is to, to make sure I'm reading to make sure I'm watching and, and thinking critically about film and, 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 and literature. And, and I think that's all good for my writing. And that's all good for being someone who is trying to be a creative. And so in that sense, uh, this podcast has been good for me. Totally. I, I agree with that, man the same way all right well i think we should get to this movie because i have a lot to say about it um like i said really loved watching it this time
1: yeah. Well, tell me a little bit more about that. What was your experience? How, how
0: was your viewing this time? So I, I, I'm, I have no idea how many times I've seen this movie, but it's a lot. More than Jurassic Park, you think? No, probably not more than Jurassic Park, just because I used to own a VHS of Jurassic Park that I wore. I literally wore out until it stopped working because mm-hmm. I would watch it all the fucking time because I was scared of it when I saw it in the theater. But afterwards, I just loved the movie and I kept watching it over and over again. So it's kind of like, I guess that doesn't it's weird because that doesn't really line up. But I I lost my fear of it after the initial viewing and then I was just obsessed with watching it a bunch of times. Yeah. Um and then I think just yeah that's probably been pretty common, but it's up there because I feel like this is a big movie every year around the summertime and it'll th- it'll be on I see I think most of the time I've seen it it's been on like TNT or something, mm-hmm. you know. So it's not only it's also, you're also seeing like a cut up commercial version where certain scenes have been edited for you know for for content and then also to fit time constraints. So I feel like I've seen a bunch of different cuts and versions of this movie. Um, so r- watching the the full experience last night was was a lot of fun, and I noticed way more stuff from reading the book this time. I think it really kind of deepened my experience and my appreciation for it, and it made me appreciate a lot of the things that he did differently. But the main thing, actually, speaking of kind of a retrospective, this show has taught me to watch movies differently, I think, than I used to, watching them critically and taking notes. I noticed so much filmmaking stuff and appreciated so much filmmaking stuff in this movie. You know, whether it's shots, whether it's music, whether it's acting or or whatever. Like, I was noticing all that. And then on top of it, I think this movie, you know, would, I think Die Hard gets, gets talked about a lot in this sense. But I was blown away by how well-structured the story was. That's not just a movie thing, but just in general, how well-structured this story was and how well Spielberg sets up, like everything that happens later in the movie, he sets up early in the movie. There's all these little uh, payoffs that happen throughout. And, I mean, we'll talk about them as, as we come to them because I have a lot of examples of this. But, I don't know. just I was very impressed with his skill. And I know this is very early on in his career. And I, I was blown away by the skill he was showing already. Just to touch on the, the
1: writing portion of it, and you're talking about how well-structured it is. It's so crazy. This, this movie is a miracle that it even exists in its current form because they started they started shooting without a completed script there were so many like woes that happened on the production and so what spielberg was doing is he would get with the other writer who was who was working on it with him and they would film all day he was Carl Gottlieb i think yes they would the f- screenwriter yeah yeah they would film all day and then they would get together and be on the boat or wherever they were just writing and revising the script and and like finishing it out and it's just well, so and peter
0: benchley co-wrote the script too so right. i, I but, know they all but, worked on it yeah
1: yeah. So Peter Benchley worked on the script, turned in a script and Spielberg kind of was like, okay, I like it, but I'm changing a bunch of stuff. And Benchley like, wasn't really, he didn't love that. But okay. I just think it's insane to think that like, it's so well structured. And like you say, things are set up that are paid off. And to do that while filming, you, it would, you have to either be shooting chronologically or get so lucky or just be thinking ahead of time in the right way or have certain things locked in. It's just crazy to think that this movie exists, um, with I, all the stuff that
0: went on i i mean i think spielberg just knows how to tell stories and i think you know you could, whether it's natural or learned or whatever i don't know probably a bit of both right like a natural talent met with uh you know studying film and, and being just a fan of of good stories and and noticing like it, just being a fan of storytelling is different than studying it I think, mm-hmm. critically, and not necessarily in a, an academic setting, but studying it in some fashion and thinking about why it works. And that way you can pick it apart and replicate it. Right. And I see that in this movie for sure. And and, and the other thing I want to say, this movie is so good and so groundbreaking that it basically launched an entire genre of movies, right? <laughs> we, I mean, every year it seems like there's a, some sort of not just monster movie, but like water-based either shark movie or water-based monster movie. And you can tell every time you see a trailer for them that they're heavily leaning on Jaws, right? It's like trying to recapture that high. <laughs> yeah. And not
1: to mention like the idea that he changed the
0: the landscape
1: of filmmaking and film marketing and what a, what it meant to go see a movie in theaters and what a mega hit was. It's just, it's so important. It's such an important movie. And yeah, it was early on in his career, and and I mean, it definitely launched his career into what it what it would become. And like you said, I think he is the student of film. And I, I something that struck me this time is knowing Hitchcock and watching this movie through that lens. This is, I think, this is Spielberg at his closest to Hitchcock. I think that he was taking so many, so many pages from from Hitchcock's book. I know that the, a lot of the stuff that went on with the shark was out of necessity, but it, 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 at some point you have to think that Spielberg wasn't just going to show the the, the sh- if if the shark had been available he wouldn't have just showed it the whole movie anyway. Oh, he yeah. had a plan. Like he was. He I would like, hope
0: that he would have known better.
1: He would have, and but it's just like the idea that he out of ne- necessity he had to show it even less. I think, helped him in the end, so... No,
0: absolutely. Yeah. And and it paved the way for so many horror movies that do that. But yeah, you're right. that That is not something he invented, too. Because Hitchcock was known for that, right? With Psycho. hmm um, well, yeah, Famously yeah. not showing, was it Norman Bates' face and, and the fact that he was in drag or whatever until the very end of the movie. Because mm-hmm. um, if you'd seen that early on, it would have completely changed the movie, right? And, like, I don't know. Um, there's a lot of that smart stuff, and Hitchcock talks about, like, the bomb under the table, right? Like, two guys having a conversation can be boring but then if that exact same conversation if you know that there's a ticking bomb underneath the table like it takes on a whole different dimension right and there's definitely that in this movie if you think of the shark as the ticking bomb right there's so many times where the presence of the shark takes a scene that would otherwise just be like a beach scene and makes it really ominous.
1: Yeah, so, I mean, I think this is a good time to just... Uh, normally, this is where we jump into the filmmaker, but we've
0: talked at length about Steven Spielberg. Wait, wait, wait. Bef- before we do that, though, um, I wanted to get your experience. What was your experience like watching it this time? Like, w- And what's your history with this movie? So, I mean, I- I've seen it you know, countless
1: times. I will say I, never, I didn't have a VHS of it or anything. It wasn't... I, I think I'd seen it on TV when I was young. And it scared me, especially, you know, growing up in Florida. We went to the beach all the time. We were always in the water. And it was something that I thought about a lot growing up and being in the water. And sure. eventually, eventually, I just overcame that and just realized, like, statistically, you're not going to get attacked by a shark. But this movie is just, like, really embeds itself in you. And you can't help but it's think hard. about it. It's hard. Yeah.
0: And we talked about in our last episode how, like, this story is more of a monster movie, more of a monster story than a story about a shark. Because right. this shark is is. Pretty much complete fiction. Like the way it behaves and, and everything is very unrealistic. There are no man eaters, not really. Um, it, it, so there's a lot of stuff like that. But uh, it, when you're floating. In the water at a beach, like it's like, I, it's like you, you can't not think of this movie, right? Like it, yeah. it, it just it's 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 always somewhere in the back of your head if you feel something brush your feet or whatever. You're like fucking Jaws is about to eat me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and just like you,
1: being out on a surfboard or a flo- like anything floating, oh, yeah. anything like that. You just you're like, am I gonna get like you got to pull your arms in sometimes. But anyway, overcoming that was something that I had dealt with as a kid, and then and then eventually I don't I don't really think about it anymore. But you know when there was like that huge boom of like DVD collector's editions with like the two discs and the extras and everything like I can remember this was one of the major ones this and I think E.T. actually were two of the ones that we got like right away and I remember watching this movie like crazy I watched it so many times and this I mean this viewing I, I, I think in this viewing I was thinking of young Spielberg like I was saying like I was thinking of him as the student and as the young and up-and-comer who had something to prove and, and... Do you know
0: how old he is off the top of your head around this time? Around this
1: time? He's got to be like 30 at the most. Like, I, I wouldn't see... I, I don't think he could have been more than 30. Let me, let me find out. So, he was 29. It's crazy, man. I'm telling you, like... Younger than me. He was... So, he was in a situation where he had, you know, finished film school and famously, like... You know, his friends George Lucas and Martin Scorsese were, were starting their projects. And this they were, like, this young and up-and-coming generation of filmmakers who studied film. Spielberg's story is a legend. Like, supposedly, he walked onto some sets and just started working with people. And he walked into an office on, like, one of the lots. I think it was Universal lot. And just, like, picked an office and just started going there every day. And that became his <laughs> office. Like, there's so many, like...
0: Is it true or not? Possibly apocryphal.
1: Yeah, (laughs) but I mean the guy's a legend and and just thinking of him as a young I mean not much older than me young filmmaker trying to prove himself doing something different something important and it's just crazy to think what he was able to pull off and and Command the respect of a crew on a boat who I mean, you know after
0: the shoot I think
1: for the most part the the crew is like they hated him probably
0: well because i mean some of these shots were like so demanding and so intricate and and just kind of crazy to try and pull off right i have a good example actually of that is uh, i've heard that
1: when brody is stuck in the ship as it's sinking at the end Mm -hmm. he that shot with him like in there and the shark coming in and all that stuff like him escaping i think took 75 takes to get finally get it Wow! And so he was like in there and they were having to like keep the boat afloat and have him in there And he didn't trust anybody to pull him out So he had like hidden axes and stuff so he could like cut his way out if he needed to and Just like the idea of that much pressure and stress on a on a shoot at 29 is absolutely insane And he says that I mean it's dangerous stuff too, right? Like the, these actors' lives are in your hands somewhat for a mm-hmm. lot of these scenes Knowing what he knows now, I think I think it, it was fortunate that he did it this way because it, it i think it added to the movie but he says that he would have filmed it in lakes and pools and all kinds of other stuff to to because it's just like it's so much more manageable it was the if you take a film crew out on a boat it's just like and you're trying to get actual shots anything falls in your shot it's ruined like wow but but like
0: did would i mean i the movie would have been changed if he had done that no for sure but he just says like you could he could have pulled it off though so i feel like I don't know I I mean the superior version might have been because that's some of the best stuff is how authentic Mm -hmm. it felt to be out on at sea and yeah you can you can get you can definitely mimic a lot of that and especially if you get into like a big lake or something you could probably mimic mimic it but I don't know like I feel like subtly subconsciously almost you I think I pick up on little differences and I might have kind of known that this wasn't purely authentic and wasn't because i've been on the boat on a boat in the ocean many times mm-hmm. with my father growing up and there's a very particular feel and and look to ocean water and uh deep water and i was definitely getting that in this movie
1: yeah you're right being out because i've gone like deep sea fishing and stuff before and i actually felt like it was really accurate to that with i've never yeah. gone shark fishing but like the chair that that quinn had and like the way that he like strapped himself in and buckled into the reel. I thought that was all really interesting. And you're right. It, I think it would have taken away from it, but there I feel like we just wouldn't have seen as many shots of just like open water. It probably would have been like more from the water looking up or looking down or something like that to hide the like any like any sort of land in the background on the horizon. So at this point of the show normally we talk about the filmmaker, but we've talked about Steven Spielberg a lot on our other, on our Jurassic Park episode in Ready Player One, so I figured I would take this time to kind of talk about some of the production stuff that he ran into, and just the production of the film overall, some of the craziness that went on, because there's so much to talk about.
0: Yeah, I've heard a little bit of this stuff, but I'm I'm really interested to to see, like, what I know and what is all new to me. So
1: the, we were talking about how dangerous it could be out on the water, and there was uh, an accident that it t- took place on the set involving the orca, and it was actually sinking, this is, this is all some documentary about the making of Jaws. Director Steven Spielberg began to scream over a bullhorn for the, for the nearby safety boat to rescue the actors. John R. Carter, already up to his knees in water on the sinking orca, held his tape recorder up over his head and screamed, fuck the actors, save the sound department. During the accident, the, <laughs> the film camera was submerged so its fil- with its film still submerged in seawater, so it was assumed to be ruined. However, it was realized that they could they could pull it back out and develop it, and actually, and it was flown to a lab in New York, and technicians didn't lose any of the film.
0: So, you think some of those is any of that in the movie?
1: <laughs> uh, presumably, yeah. I, I mean, prob- yeah, probably because. But it's crazy to think that, like, the sound guy, because basically, like, the actors can swim is kind of what the sound guy was. Th- this, every, everybody's, like, really, really, you know, focused on their department. But it's just sure. funny to think that, like, the actors can swim and the safety boats will get there eventually. But, like, the equipment, like, it goes down. It's game over for that stuff. Um,
0: I see. So, so <laughs> Okay. So that's maybe why you said that. Yeah. <laughs> but it's
1: just crazy to think that, like, young, you're 29 years old and this, like, huge group of people that you have to coordinate all the stuffs happening, and then the boat starts sinking. Like boat starts sinking. Worst case scenario, yeah. man. Just some other stuff I I have that I would like to say about the movie. It's the first movie to reach a hundred million dollar mark in theatrical rentals. It was the highest grossing of all time in the U.S. until Star Wars in nineteen seventy
0: seven. That's a little. That's a. Uh, I've heard of that movie. <laughs> yeah,
1: it was. I mean, it's insane to think that this movie had that kind of impact because we think of you know Star Wars as the the staple of massive movies now and just to think like that's the thing that had to
0: take this insane and, and speaking of uh impact uh, i i've always heard that alien was basically developed as jaws in space and you can feel that and when you watch and it. i love alien one of my favorite movies ever uh, i wish we could cover it on the podcast but it's not based off a book
1: <laughs> i feel that so much like there's so many projects so many films that i'm like oh my god if only we could cover this like other spielberg movies that aren't <laughs> (laughs) you know maybe there's a way
0: in the future we can find a way to do something but we'll figure it out
1: maybe if people are interested for like our bonus episodes sometimes we can do things that aren't necessarily books
0: i like that but but yeah so uh but yeah i'm just like the fact that alien owes a lot to this movie and i can i I was thinking about that while i was watching it and noticing that um in so many movies but it's just really cool to see its legacy like a lot of the films the good films that have based themselves off of this movie or learned a lot from this movie are some of my favorite movies.
1: Yeah. It's, it's awesome. So Peter Benchley liked how cutting the subplots from the novel
0: allowed for characters to be fleshed out properly. Yeah. Well, that's good. Yeah. Cause that's true. Uh, and some of those sub- subplots completely were like a distraction, I think. And, and, and don't really fit in this story, in my opinion. This this story is so tight. Like, the structure of it is incredible. It's, it's cool to think... It's going to be funny because I have another fact about Benchley
1: later. But it's cool to think that he realized, like, oh, cutting these useless subplots that didn't add very much really tightened up the story and allowed... I mean, we'll get into the character development that we get for these characters that we didn't necessarily get in the book, but I think he, it's def- he's definitely right,
0: and Spielberg was, was correct in doing that. I'm going to make a weird Scotch comparison that's going to go over... I don't know, maybe go over some people's heads, but still, I want to make it. Go for <laughs> it. Um, so I feel like when you write a novel, it's very much like a single malt being developed in Scotland for Scotch, right? Um, in that it has a lot of this kind of like singular focus, singular flavor... Um, maybe it's really complex it's got like can have really rough edges sometimes but if you get a blend um, where you blend a bunch of different whiskeys together you can kind of round it out and maybe it won't be as like unique and different but oftentimes it can be something that the masses will enjoy more and I think that that process can happen a lot of times with adaptations where you have this more singular rough thing that the author wrote and then you get it in a room with a, with like multiple writers and you get a director and you get all these people's input you kind of ra- you kind of like sand off all the ar- rough edges not always but in, in often you get this this version that if not better it at least is um will appeal to more people. Mm-hmm.
1: I think that there's a there's a there's also an interesting line there because you also want there to be you want these like these films that are more your single malt like more focused like somebody's vision yeah and i think those are coveted because the things that are typically sometimes you can run into situations where too many cooks create something that's too bland and it just becomes well, and you have that
0: happen with whiskey too <laughs> right so so yes.
1: i over over blended that's what i was going to ask you is like typically is blended
0: is blended seen as inferior to single malt no uh no in fact uh i mean this is a totally aside but um I mean, off, some whiskey s- snobs will tell you yes, but um, in general, a lot of your blends like Johnny Walker aren't necessarily that interesting. Whereas uh, Compass Box is making their own blends like uh, Spice Tree and Pete Monster. Anyway, that are really incredible, like works of art, and and they're blended. So um, you can't really br- you can't really paint it with a broad stroke. You know what I mean? Yeah. I get that. It's I I, I'm, I I like to get
1: my education for for whiskey and scotch through you. slowly. I'm gonna I'm gonna seep out some of that knowledge. And-
0: I recommend uh, drinking a Lafroye or an Ardbeg, Bag, some salty I, uh, Isla when you're watching Jaws. I think it would be appropriate. Yeah, it sounds good. <laughs> this is my whiskey pairing of the week. <laughs> we should that'd be cool to to get into that <laughs>
1: to make that a, a feature on the podcast. So let's talk about these sharks. These crazy contraptions that were that were made for the production of this movie.
0: It's funny because I noticed this. I, I feel like this is one of the first times where I really noticed how fake the shark is in a lot of the scenes, but it still looks good. Mm-hmm. Like even as I'm looking at it and going, that thing isn't moving. It's definitely stationary getting pulled through the water. Mm-hmm. you you like there are times where you notice it's very still and rigid, and that looks kind of un unrealistic but it's only because I've seen the movie like a million times and I'm really looking for it. I remember it's completely convincing when you're when you're when you're just caught up in it and you're not paying attention to all those things like, i mean and while many of the scenes still are, and I think that's the marvel behind it and I think like there's there's a lot to be said for the editors in this
1: case because it's like you keep that for another second or two and you run into a situation where people are like that's clearly fake, but they were able to yeah. keep it where it's like there's a lot of plausibility there where you're like this seems like it could like you you you're willing to give them the
0: benefit of the doubt because
1: it's entertaining and you're enjoying
0: it and you can tell that they definitely use like stock footage and like shark like mm-hmm. actual footage of sharks too occasionally interspersed and it was a nice little bit to kind of show it moving because if you never saw it moving in that way it it would have been unconvincing so i think the the actual shark footage was 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 definitely needed
1: definitely i thought that that added a lot and specifically with the cage there's there's a shot where there's a live shark over the cage and it's so you're like that that sells it for me it's, yeah, cuz that's definitely rushing and rolling and I was like, "Oh my god, this adds so yeah. much."
0: Which actually I felt I felt kind of bad because I know that that is like a shark that's actually getting like tangled up in this shit and it's definitely not a shark that's attacking a cage as much as a shark that's gotten caught in it. Right. Um I've seen videos of this where like they then they'll be interested in it and then they'll get caught up in 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 it on accident and then they kind of flip out. Mhm. Um, and that's when they can damage the cages, not normally because they're trying to eat the person inside, but just because they're curious about it. And then they get like something caught on themselves. And then they kind of like, you know, you think about like your dog, I don't know if this ever happens to you, but like if your dog's like collar ever gets caught on something, often they'll just flip the fuck out and, and like rip whatever it is out of the wall or whatever. Like what happened one time where my dog got its collar caught in the dishwasher and the entire dishwasher tray with dishes on it ripped it out of the dishwasher ran around the plates went everywhere (laughs) yeah so yeah so basically that it's that because they're so scared and they don't know what's happening and they just kind of flip out Mm -hmm. and so i feel bad for these animals and 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 i want to stress once again that's something we learned with peter benchley like how he kind of regrets this this book and he feels like he would write it differently now and that he in good conscience couldn't write the same novel because a lot of violence has been perpetrated against these animals because of this movie and because of that book uh, yeah I mean sharks are not monsters mm-hmm. they, they yeah. are they're just they're just animals they're you know they're like lions and tigers and they need to be preserved and protected and and uh, appreciated I think I agree. And they really do play up the fact that it's a monster in the
1: movie too. Like it's not just Benchley. Oh yeah, like, they, it's- in the
0: world of this m- movie, it is a fucking monster. Absolutely, yeah. And I'm 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 okay. Like kind of suspending that part. You know what I mean? Like I can just accept that in this universe. There's a man-eating monster in the water, and the mayor's insane for wanting people to go out and, like, actually go in the water. Whereas, like, in real life, that's a pretty sane thing because, yes, it's not hunting people. We know that now about (laughs) about sharks. So Actually, his position was pretty reasonable. But in the universe of the movie, it was completely unreasonable.
1: Yeah. So these prop sharks, there were three of them made, um, and they were mnemonic. There was one that was like a sea sled, which was like a full body prop with its belly missing. So they could like put it through the water and you they could pull, see over drag top. Drag it through the water.
0: Mm-hmm. Those are some great scenes. Yeah, yeah. And
1: then there was one that was a left platform and a right platform shark. So you could be on the left side or the right side of it to, to you know, operate it as it's going through the water. So that, so that you're hidden from camera. You're on the opposite side. Okay. Of the camera. Yeah. I see. I see.
0: Yeah. So were they dragging it through the water? I think so. I, I think
1: so. Yeah. For, for some of it, you know, depending on what the shot yeah, was. Yeah sure sure
0: and then the third i'm assuming is like the big head with the snapping jaws right just probably just mostly a head i i don't think that was a
1: full i think there was like more than these three but these were the three that were like sea sled sharks okay okay this is a super famous story that apparently has been kind of debunked at this point but the first day the model shark was used it sank to the bottom of the ocean The story goes that it was never tested in the water, but from what I understand, it was tested in the water, but just wasn't tested in salt water. So when it got in the salt water, that's when it got all messed up. Uh, So on the first day of shooting, one of them sank to the bottom of the ocean. Um, and it took a ton of maintenance and it was really, it was really hard to get down to it. Speaking of it sinking, it was, they chose to shoot in Martha's Vineyard, which you're going to be visiting soon. And I was fairly nearby, actually. I was very close to Martha's Vineyard recently and I was like along the coast. The city looks just like the one that we see in the movie.
0: I talked about that on our bonus episode, but I, I got accepted into the Viable Paradise Writers Workshop, uh, which is a highly competitive fantasy science fiction, uh, genre workshop. And, um... So I'm very excited about that. But one of the cool things is it's held on Martha's Vineyard in, in fall. So I'm going to be going there in October. And I'm definitely going to be looking for, like, familiar things from this movie because uh just watching it, like, made me really excited to go there. Like it, it, I don't know. I just love a lot of that. It, like, you could tell it was filmed on location, right? Like, in a lot of those scenes, you can see a window behind them with, like, the sea or something. And you could tell that that's not, you know what I mean? That's not some sort of, like, effect. Like, that's a real you were in a real house shooting this stuff kind of thing.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's incredible there. And I I think that you should try to find photos like stills from the movie and see if you can recreate them with your phone.
0: Supposedly, there's like the I think it's the bridge that they run that like he runs across. Maybe. I don't know. There's like a Jaws bridge supposedly that's very prominent Mm -hmm. that people go to and visit. Cool. So maybe it's the one where like the shark goes underneath while he's running to his son. I think that's probably the bridge That'll that will cool. are talking about. I'm going to look
1: forward to seeing those pictures, and you guys can find them on Instagram. I'm sure Luke will post yeah. them everywhere. Well,
0: it, assuming I can get away enough to do that, because I am going to be doing the whole workshop thing. Sure. But I'm also, I'm, I'm arriving a day early, so that would be good stuff to do, like the day early, maybe. Mm-hmm. I can get around and get some of that. We'll see. So
1: they chose Martha's Vineyard because even 12 miles out to see the sandy bottom was only is only 30 feet down. So they were able to retrieve the sharks and do all the things that they needed to do oh, relatively yeah. easily.
0: You could tell when they when they were having that the last encounter and he swims down um, and hides that I was like, oh, that water's actually not that deep. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, you could totally see that.
1: So just one other thing that I wanted to talk about is uh, Richard Dreyfuss and Robert Shaw and like their relationship on set was not great. OK, was it r- really? Yeah. So uh, first Richard Dreyfuss was tested and cast at the suggestion of George Lucas, who had just worked with him on American Graffiti. So that's another connection okay. to Lucas and
0: I've never I've never seen that. Oh, you
1: have it, it's it movie. predate. I mean, it's right before Star Wars, and it's like a you know like a I think it's like a fifties or forties throwback to like diner culture and like hot rods and stuff like that. It's I mean it's a fun movie. Okay, but Robert Shaw and so Richard Dreyfuss was very young when this was going on, and uh, Robert Shaw was an older grizzled actor. And famously an alcoholic. He's the man in this movie. Well, he, I love him. Well, he, he, his character comes out well, but apparently on set he was a total asshole.
0: I believe it. <laughs> it's like, uh, he's just like the character in the book. Like, he's... Problematic, mm-hmm. but I still kind of love. Them. <laughs> so
1: Shaw and Dreyfus like famously argued all the time, and there was that was co- kind of why some of the tension was there between Hooper and Quint?
0: I I don't know. I think there narratively there's very good reason for there to be tension there, though. They really set up the new versus old dynamic between those two characters that um, then beautifully gets um, resolved in the in the the uh, Indianapolis story, the USS Indianapolis story. Yeah, I think like. I, I only now am I really appreciating how important that moment is for this story. That's my favorite um, which scene. We can talk about more when we get there. Maybe let's
1: get let's let's jump into plot because we're so far into plot at this point that like we got. to yeah, talk about do, it, it. do it. OK, so opening scene is the they're on the beach and there's a party and the shark attack. It's an incredible scene. It's crazy. It's it's. Very effective to get you scared of the shark.
0: So iconic, too. The way it's filmed and the music and and how the music represents the monster. Mm -hmm. But then also, um, one thing I I wrote down is that uh, we've talked about this, I think, on another Spielberg um, project, maybe Jurassic Park. But this movie's rated PG. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It says at the beginning, rated PG. And I'm like, how is this movie? And then I remembered that PG-13 was basically invented for Steven Spielberg movies, where it was like borderline, maybe not good for children, but not quite a rated R movie. Mm Um, and that that was not a rating back back in '75, so it was PG. <laughs>
1: I think that it was a rated R film, and then they pulled. They had to pull a There was more like bloody and like severed body part scenes, and they pulled a bunch of those to make it under the R rating. Uh-huh. Interesting. So this is a crazy anecdote about this shark attack scene. Uh, the actress's name is Susan Backlini, and mm-hmm. a, the way that they were able to get the shark attack effect is they took two 300 pound weights attached to her. And they were being tugged by two groups of crewmen on shore. One group would pull right and the other would pull left. And it took three days to film that sequence. So she was just getting dragged and around they, uh, in the water for three days. and Naked. And also people, like, uh, there's there's a lot of, like, conspiracy. I don't know if it's even conspiracy. There's been stories that have been told that she was, like br- her like, a lot of the pain that she's in is real pain. And, like, she potentially broke a rib, but she's later denied all this stuff. But those were a lot of some of the stories that were coming out of that. Which, if that's true, fuck, that's insane. That's that's completely fucked up. That's not okay.
0: Sure, sure.
1: And then the next scene, uh, we get Brody waking up with his wife
0: and and he goes he gets a phone call and goes to find the body on the beach there's two phones and he picks up the wrong one i thought that was interesting and the only thing i can think is that um it must have been a thing that like one phone went to the mainland and the other one was maybe like island island calls
1: oh nice yeah i see i i thought it was like work related i thought one was work one was personal or something
0: maybe it could be that i don't know i i thought it, it i could also see it being a thing of like you know, anybody on the island calling each other uses one set of lines, and then if you call off the island, you have to use a different phone. That makes sense to me. I yeah. think that would make sense.
1: So the scene where they find the the arm in the, with all the crabs and everything, apparently Spielberg felt like the prop arm was too fake, so they, they ended up burying a crew member. With only her arm exposed, so it's actually like somebody's buried <laughs> real, under there.
0: Nice, man. That's that's a cool. That's a good call. You that's know, it's a cool detail. Yeah, I mean, and it looked. They looked
1: yeah. real, so it worked out really well. Those
0: crabs. Man. I was think I was getting a strong Indiana Jones vibes from those crabs. Yeah. Like he, that's a big thing for his jo- Indiana Jones movies. Like the swarms of creatures snakes and spiders and stuff yeah rats rats <laughs> there, there's some there's some of those scenes in every one of those movies um I, I i thought it was interesting too that his son like cuts his hand or has been cut and we can see how protective he is um i've i've been thinking a lot about character introductions um for the novel i'm writing <laughs> um and i noticed that every one of these characters is just expertly introduced and from the from the jump with brody we get we see that he has a sense of humor. We see that he's a family man. We see that he's protective, and we also see him staring out at the at the sea, and we see him being a chief and being protective of kind of the city as a whole. And we see what kind of guy this is, and and just immediately established. And then yeah, I think the the son having um, blood on his hand, he's cut himself. Um, I think foreshadows the danger that his that his sons basically are in later, mm-hmm. right?
1: Yeah, the introduction thing is—I I completely agree with you. I think that we immediately know his character, whereas in the book, we were constantly like having to rethink his character, and it felt like he yeah. had the wrong—like it, it just feels like a stronger character to me than it was in the book. Oh yeah,
0: well he, yeah he's—he he had some of that like protective stuff, but then also like he was kind of shitty and not really that great of a family man, mm-hmm. and and definitely reprehensible in a lot of ways. So this this version of Brody. There's nothing not to like to me. Like, he's great. Yeah, he's he's <laughs> so awesome. And we'll get to the other introductions because I
1: agree. Like, the other two main guys oh, have yeah. such great introductions. So, Brody wants to close down the beaches now, right? Because there has been an attack and he's he's running around and buying the, the equipment and the tools and everything and the materials to close down the beaches and he runs into the mayor and the mayor says that the beaches are going to have to stay open because of the summer rush that's coming in.
0: And this is another moment of like something I noticed because I've been paying attention to filmmaking. That scene on the ferry while they're talking about this stuff is brilliant. It's so dynamic. There's so much going on behind them while they're having this conversation. Like it's just a smart just such a smart way to establish the setting so effectively while you're you know you're multitasking, mm-hmm. you're doing multiple things in a scene and you doing it he's doing it really well here in, in that particular scene
1: and spielberg's famous for his dynamic movement and and like really making a space feel real there's a shot in this where we're getting the beach from a helicopter view and then it cuts to a shot on the beach with the helicopter flying over and just thinking of the yeah. fact that like you have to coordinate those shots to make these things feel so dynamic and real and to create this this realistic space and so just to have that shot in there they had to coordinate a, a helicopter flying over as the actors were ha- acting at the perfect time and it's just that attention to detail that that elevates film yeah
0: and and then when they're um i think the next scene is they're on the beach and 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 brody has been convinced to not close the beach but he's super nervous about mm-hmm. it and i was there's so many things he does in that sequence um it's so brilliant he shows all these people going out he keeps cutting to each one individually so you don't know which one is going to be the one in danger Um, And then Brody kind of like peeking over the guy's shoulder comes to talk to him because he has to keep his eyes on the water and reacting to every little sound and all awesome. And then it pays off with that. And I want to talk to you about this technique, that famous scene where um, the camera pulls in on his face when the shark first attacks and but simultaneously stretches out the background while it's doing that. That's got to be like a technique that people this is know how to use, right? Or, or do deliberately. I mean, yeah, this
1: is like a very famous technique that like any film student will tell you about. Um, so it's, ver- so it's Alfred, an Alfred Hitchcock reference, basically. I, I don't think he he's not the originator of it, but he made it famous with vertigo. So what it is, is it's, it's, in, it's a dolly zoom. So what you're doing is you're dollying either towards or away from your subject. And at the same time, zooming in the opposite direction that you're dollying. So, if you're pulling away on the dolly, you're zooming into your subject. What you're getting with with the Spielberg one is it's closing in, right? so like it's like his world the the background is closing in around him, and it's like this crazy moment, and it's just it's it's in so much now. and
0: what's cool about that too is that mimics a real feeling I think all of us have felt in real life, right? Mm-hmm. like, I don't know about you, but I feel like I've had moments where I felt like.
1: It's like blood rushing to your head, right? Yeah, like, it's like, like
0: a weird effect of something—tunnel vision, some sort of crazy high-stress moment where it feels like things are stretching and being weird, like that. Yeah. I don't know. Even if it's not like it, just it feels like something real to me, like it's something that I've really experienced.
1: Yeah, I it's it's very effective, and dolly zoom is something that like in my feature in my whatever feature film I direct eventually this I'll have a dull zoom in it even if it's something subtle and smaller than that really quick one it's just such a
0: cool thing that you can do in camera and that kid dying is so important for this movie too because it establishes like we talked about this with it like it establishes that children can be in danger in this movie because often children are not in danger right like that's like the thing like you're like they're not gonna harm the kids but when you when you do that in, you know, chapter one, you establish that children can be in and are in danger in this book. And and similar for this movie, when we see that kid go down on the on the raft, all of a sudden his sons being in real danger is is very realistic. Do you want to mention that some bad hat, Harry? <laughs> that's some bad hat. Actually,
1: um somebody eventually made a production company that's called Bad Hat Harry.
0: Yeah, and that's the little line it says, I forget what show there's some show I used to watch where it would say that at the end of every episode. Yeah you'd hear that little line that's a bad hat harry and i didn't actually realize it was from jaws until later i like watched it again i was like oh shit that's that line i've heard a million times um it's a very random line there's some there's definitely some like really odd ball lines in this movie that stand out like that mm-hmm. um there's another one that's, it's not as famous but it just always has stuck in my mind it's later but um there's a guy asking what sort of shark it is and then Hooper says, That's a tiger shark. And then he what? goes, a What? Yeah. A what? Like the way he says it is just so comical and like ridiculous, but I love that it. That was his I don't moment. Know. He needed to, to like
1: really a... nail that. That was his one <laughs> was moment really... in the movie. The actor wanted it's to like, ham it up. Oh my God, it's so good. A what? I know. When I saw it this time, it just like, it really made me laugh. I, I it's, yeah, like, there's a
0: couple of them. This movie has some nice humor to it, right? Which really like kind of alleviate. and that's the Spielberg thing, right? But it really alleviates some of it.
1: Yeah, and I think you can also carry that down to blockbusters today. Like, I think yeah. that that's, like, that levity where it's, like, people
0: don't want... Okay, I'm not going to say... I'm not going to generalize, but... It creates a different kind of movie. It's a different kind of movie when it's all serious and no moments of levity. But you're absolutely right. Like, uh, Marvel mm-hmm. is famous for this, right? Like, the moments of... What's it called? Bathos or whatever. Like, the the moments of levity to interspersed with the drama that, like... Some people could argue maybe cuts the tension too much. That's why I think it is a fine line to walk. But I think in this movie, it's done brilliantly to where it, it is just a little bit of like a relieving some pressure, you know, like literally if you think of it that way, like it's relieving pressure from a system that's building pressure. And every now and then that can really like, I don't know, just make for a better experience. And for me, it's something like I think it's something psychological that um,
1: digging into like <laughs> yeah. the, uh, the theory behind film, I think that like laughing is such a such an interesting experience because it's, it's so involuntary. That, like, those yeah. moments of, la- like, f- you'll remember having fun if you laughed during the movie. So I think that, like, psychologically mm-hmm. there's something there that that makes, so for for a movie like this where it's, like, a little, like, it's a little, it's not campy, but it's, like, right there. You know what I mean? Like, like it, I wouldn't push this into campy, but it's, like, it knows what it is a little bit. It's self-aware. It's pretty serious. But it's, like, self-aware, right? Like, it knows, like, this is a crazy monster movie to the point where yeah, I think so. the characters well, are Well, especially larger. if
0: you look at the scene of, like, the fishermen on the dock. Mm-hmm. That is absolutely can't be seen, right? right? Where they're like, "That's my wife's roast," and then they, he's got, he's like swimming, he's like, he's like, "Dress me, don't look back," and like all that stuff. Like it's very, that's very self-aware, right? So I think that that's like, there's something in that
1: that that like I think like. Allows people to say oh I can have fun in this movie and this is a
0: fun movie and remember having a good time So the next character introduction that happens in my notes At least is quint with the nails on the chalkboard, which we have to talk about yeah. <laughs> Amazing scene and it reminds me of another thing that I noticed was cool in this movie Is there's a lot of scenes where there's characters talking over each other and it feels very realistic to me There's a lot of um It happens later with the mayor where hooper and brody are trying to convince him at the same time and They're talking over each other and almost like unintelligible And, like, I love Alan, it's very realistic. So everybody's talking in this room, and he scratches on his nails, and then he's just this fucking, like, he's Ahab, ripped out of the pages and brought to life. He's so over the top, and just awesome still, though. And, like, he's also, um, he's the embodiment of, like, Chekhov's gun, um, because we know, as soon as we meet Quint, you know... That's the guy that this movie has to go to eventually. Like, we're going to get him eventually. They have to hire him. He's the end game for this movie. And they put it in there. It's 20 minutes in. I looked to see, because we had talked about when does he get introduced. 20 minutes into the movie, they show you this is the guy that we're going to have to turn to. And they set it up right there. Um, So we always, in the back of our head, know that that's kind of the end game, right?
1: Yeah. I, I mean and I love that introduction. It's, great. it's it's amazing. It's it's like you said before, it's it's become like a character, right? It's like it's like a archetype that that where it's yeah. like this is this is like the seafaring old gentleman who's been through it all and and like an old sea dog who's like pretty rough around the edges and
0: and mysterious. He's mysterious here and I love that um in this version of the story we really get to understand him. Mm-hmm. Um in a in a really deep way, which I definitely want to talk about later. So
1: the next little bit is Brody was, is at home and he's like looking at shark attack survivors in the books and seeing some injuries. And, and I think that adds, ratchets up the tension a lot. And that makes, it's like, it's like you're seeing that as the viewer and thinking like, oh, that's like really, it looks very violent. And
0: it's foreshadowing again, especially the, the, the shark attacking the boat. Right. That is definitely foreshadowing things that happen in this movie. <laughs> Like, it's, it's, the structure is just amazing. It's just so smartly done. It's so smart.
1: And speaking of, like, structure and characters, the next thing that happens is the, the town has put a bounty on the, on the shark and everybody's coming to town to, to hunt it and all these fortune hunters are in town and Hooper comes up on a boat and his introduction with, with Brody is amazing and I want to hear your thoughts on we it. We
0: learned so much about that character. I mean, he, he's polite, but he's also sarcastic. He's also charming, but um, kind of unassuming, um, so we just learn a much, so much about him, the way he's kind of well-groomed and well-put-together, and he's got high-quality gear. You can tell he's kind of an intellectual. The, his his interaction with Brody is just awesome because he's very he's, they're, they're very friendly with each other before they even know who they are, and then they kind of learn who they are, and they're both really excited to meet each other. Brody, I love the way Brody um, really respects his expertise. He's been wanting that, and he's really excited that he's there. Um, and then we see that change a little bit that dynamic changes a little bit when they go to do the autopsy because all of a sudden hooper is like in charge of that scene and he's like telling brody not to smoke in here and he's he gets really worked up and he but um we see that he also has another gear where especially when it's related to sharks and maybe things he knows a lot about he can really like turn it on and take the lead and and i think that's very important for this character too because he's got more than one side to him he's multifaceted so it sounds to me it sounds like Quint is your favorite, but Hooper's my favorite, man. I like Hooper
1: more than Quint yeah. even though I love Quint cuz it's he's so good, man. It's like he's such a charismatic
0: character and Richard Dreyfuss just a- absolutely kills it through the whole movie. I mean, I'm not going to argue with you. He's great. Yeah. <laughs> he's great as well. Um all three there are three leads are all awesome mm. in this movie. Um and and yeah, I I, I do think my favorite's probably Quint. Um but i i'm yeah i'm not going to argue with you.
1: i think the thing for the only thing that that makes me w- want to say that quint is better is just that the uh indianapolis story
0: no we'll get there i want to talk about that so
1: the town catches a tiger shark and and everyone reacts thinking it's the one that's killed everybody and the beaches are opened up again and oh uh, wow what? <laughs> uh, what it's a tiger shark oh <laughs> uh, what <laughs> oh my gosh it, <laughs> yeah and um, basically Hooper's just like we need to cut it open so that we know whether this is the one that killed people or not because I don't think that it ma- the measurements
0: match up so I thought the mayor was being crooked like he is in the book probably just influenced by the book but he seemed like he was being super shady but the movie I think wants us to believe that he's just kind of incompetent and kind of dumb um, and uh, like blind to the danger maybe a little bit greedy but more just because he's like wants the town to prosper But yeah, we don't get the mob angle, that's for sure. (laughs) The mafia, you know, like we got in the... We don't need that in this movie. (laughs) I couldn't remember if it was in there or not, you know, or was hinted at. Yeah. And maybe it is still. Maybe there is still, like, that could be going on and we just don't know. Yeah.
1: So uh, meanwhile, I I think that night, two men use a roast as bait on the dock and they they look like the entire dock gets ripped off and it's like hooked into
0: Jaws, the shark. Well, and that also structurally it establishes the strength, the immense strength of this mm-hmm. shark. We see it rip the dock apart. We immediately are going to go, "Oh shit! What's it going to do to a boat?" Mm-hmm. You know. And I think the thing that that Spielberg did ex
1: like expertly because he couldn't use the shark is these floating objects throughout. Like he's using the dock that's like f- like you know where the shark is because of the dock, and it's so much scarier. You but don't know the. But size it's even of it.
0: scarier because um you know it's actually ahead of it right right because it's being dragged behind it so you're like you don't know how close it actually is yeah well the scariest
1: is when it switches directions because it's like it's yeah. like you think it's so far away because like you said it's ahead of the dock but then it switches directions and you're like holy shit it's so much closer to me than even the dock is it's right already now. on its way back yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so good and just like throughout the floating objects i think are what sell this movie um that and the score and we we should talk about the score because John Williams is, we've I i don't know how many times we have to say it on this podcast, but he's like the composer of composers. He's incredible. He's created everything. And this, I think this is like the major one that that launched his career into what it would become. Yeah. Hats off to him. So Hooper and Brody are, they find the shark and they cut it open and they they don't find the remains that they're looking for. So they realize that the, it's still out there. So they, they've both been drinking and they, they jump on a boat and they go out on the waters and they find an abandoned boat. And Hooper's like, I need to dive down and check it out. And he dives down and finds like a ripped open hole with a tooth in it. And he's looking at the tooth and uh, with his flashlight underwater. And then he looks up into the hole and there's that, that famous jump scare where the body floats in. Yeah, actually makes like a crazy it's noise. Like, like it screams almost. Yeah, and there's at like <laughs> worms coming to the eyes and stuff. It, it's pretty pretty unsettling.
0: This movie, I think, really leans into male bonding. And we definitely get a lot of that between Hooper and Brody here with them like drinking and like going on the boat together at night and, and Hooper's kind of showing off what he knows and he's showing off his boat. And I don't know, there's something very, I mean, as a white man myself, um, you know, like I identify a lot with these characters and the way that they're bonding with each other. Definitely.
1: I mean, it just looks like you just want to go on this adventure, especially when they're drinking and singing together and show the scars. We'll get to that scene. It's just such a fun scene. <laughs> uh Hooper dro- actually drops the the tooth because he gets so scared from the from the body and they they go back to the shore tell the mayor mayor doesn't believe him because they don't have the evidence for the for the tooth so he says okay well the beaches are going to be open on July 4th then and July 4th comes everybody's on the beach and, and there's like this montage of people being dropped off at the beach and the beach is being crowded nobody's going in though even though there's like this patrol of police and everything on the boats and stuff and then the mayor convinces people to go in and then tons of people end up in there in the water and there's some kids messing around with a fake shark fin which distracts everybody from the real attack that's about to happen and Brody's kid is out in the water and the the shark like attacks this guy who's in like a some sort of small boat
0: his kid goes into shock and like it has to go to the hospital and this is the first time we see the shark too um and this is uh we see it in the water but we see we see the prop itself Mm -hmm. i i looked because i stopped it because i was it was right at the midpoint it's like literally at like one hour it's exactly halfway through the movie before we see the shark
1: it's just solid storytelling storytelling and 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 holding back things It, it works so well and i'm glad that he waited this long to even show the shark, because just, just thinking about the size of it is, is so much fun. So this is when Brody's able to convince the mayor to pay Quint to hunt down this, this giant shark.
0: Real quick, right before that, he's talking to Ellen, and um, I, I wrote down an exchange they have, because I thought something that I, th- I think about a lot is dialogue, and how brilliant this dialogue is, because it's, it's loaded with subtext, and it's done so quickly. So I'm going to read it to you verbatim. This is their exchange. Want to take him home, then Ellen. Back to New York, then Brody. No, home here. And they kind of look at each other. And the subtext behind it is them talking about, like, are we going to fucking move from this place mm-hmm. and get out of here? And and then and then Brody saying, no, home here is is, is defiant. And it's saying that regardless of all of this, we're going to make this work. And so there's so much going on, like, in the subtext of that conversation. But that's literally, like, that's like 10 words mm-hmm. is all that is. It's crazy how small amount of that, like, there's such a small amount of dialogue they can say so much. It's just pinpoint accuracy with, with the dialogue, like you're saying. It's it's crazy. Well, and it's realistic because people don't say everything they mean. You know what I mean? People often do speak to each other in subtext, especially someone like a wife who you have a lot of this shared experience with. Really, really smartly done. So Brody and Hooper meet up with Quint and uh, they hire him. God damn it. So the meeting in, the, in his, like... um it's like his shop with all the like shark teeth everywhere. Mm-hmm. And like the grin that's on Brody's face is he's like, we've come to the right guy. Um, but then he's just like, Quint keeps being more and more aggressive and and like insane. God, it's so good. And then, and then I love Hooper's um, the old versus new. This is when it really kicks in, right? Like Hooper trying to like just dis- kind of discounting. He calls it like his working, ma- working man, hero, you know, stick. And then, but then like, uh, Quint grabbing his hands and going like ah oh, you got a city boy hands and like like it's so good like and I, I I think there's like their their arc is all about this like slowly building mutual respect for each other too and um it starts here because Hooper is super, so angry with him and like dismissive but then when he relents and says he'll let him on the boat as ballast <laughs> um, Hooper's generally like really happy he's like because you can tell he also kind of craves this guy's approval. At the same time that he's like, you know, railing against him.
1: Definitely, I don't know. And you can see this, like, as a as somebody who's probably, I mean, is considered a city boy, doesn't do a lot yeah. of work with their hands. Like you could see being like, but I'm like this, like I could be there too. Like I can, you know what I mean? Yeah.
0: And you're like, I have knowledge, even if you don't have the experience. It's it's like the old the age old question about experience versus knowledge, right. right? And yeah, their relationship is is so interesting throughout. And it's it's always cool too because I noticed that. It, it, at the same time, Quint's having this, like, competition with Hooper about what's the better way. At the same time, Quint is actually being really nice to Brody and helping him along because he can tell how... I mean, even if he's, like, razzing him, he's still... Um, especially, I'm thinking, like, when they're out in the boat later. Yeah. Um, he tells him, like, if you need to know which which line to pull, just, just ask Quint. Um, first off, fix of himself in third person, which is awesome. But <laughs> that, to me, is, like, a kind moment. Like, he recognizes that Brody doesn't know what he's doing, he's new on a boat, he's terrified, and he can be kind to him at the same time that he's, like, butting heads with Hooper and, and they're all, like, on another level about seamanship and, and fishing and all this other stuff that Brody's just like, I'm terrified to be out here on a boat. Yeah, and I actually
1: love the flip of Brody being so in control and in charge on the on land, and then once they get on the boat, he's just like... He doesn't have a sea legs under him and he's God, just
0: the scene where his wife is like following behind him and like asking him if he's taking his dramamine and like to ask him about it, so what socks he's brought mm-hmm. and all this stuff. Like it's so good. Just because it really establishes just how on it, like, like the other guys are on another level, right? They're packing like guns and like spears and they're talking in this jargon that's almost indecipherable. Mm-hmm. And he's showing up, like, I've taken my dramamine, I got my floaties basically. Like, he's ready to go. Yeah. You know? And then you see repeatedly, <laughs> I will say that Brody
1: has an arc on the boat, he gets more comfortable, but you see early on, yeah. like, right away. That he's got the sunscreen on his nose covering his nose when they're out there on the boat. And it's just it's great. It's it's really you know these characters so well.
0: Man, I um I, I had to turn on um speaking of like almost indecipherable, I turned on subtitles because I wanted to know what Quint was saying in a lot of these scenes. He's it, it still is almost indecipherable. He sees like at, when he grabs his hand, he says something about dogfish and nets and children with scissors. And he's like, hey, God, there white children with scissors, and he's just like he just I don't know, it's like it's amazing how effective that dialogue is, even though you don't know what he's saying.
1: Yeah, it's crazy. I, I what I what I thought was that he's like trying to catch dogfish with a net, and then it's like something about like he's so inexperienced that a sharp,
0: like, like a white would come in and shred it and stuff. But I I I literally feel like the only way I could decipher that was by turning on subtitles, because when he says it, it's almost indecipherable. <laughs> And then there's later when he's when he's loading the ship, like literally almost everything he says is indecipherable. And even the um, subtitles doesn't doesn't convey it all because it's happening kind of in the background while uh, Brody and his wife are talking. Mm-hmm. But he's just like yelling stuff at the people on on, on, on like at the dock and everything. And it's, I don't know, it's awesome. And it's so authentic sounding too at the same time. Yeah. But the singing part is brilliant because what you're, I think when he actually, the first time he starts singing that Farewell and Adieu song mm-hmm. is when he talks about when they bring up the shark cage mm-hmm. Which is another right, brilliant moment, was, yeah. Setting something up and he says he's like you, he goes he's like cage goes in the water, you go in the cage, shark's in the water, and then he goes, Oh well then I do And he just starts singing, like he doesn't say anything. Mm-hmm. But that's his response is this kind of song that you you come to realize is about like someone leaving and like goodbye to you, like kind of thing and it just, I don't know. God, it's such a good scene. It's so good. <laughs> and then, like, and then uh, Hooper can only just, like, laugh about it, but it's so good. Mm. Oh, when they're, when they're leaving, when they're leaving the harbor, he's saying, like, crazy shit. He's, like, saying down periscope, like, uh, he's, like, saying something about the markets in Madison Avenue are going to be affected by a nor'easter and, like, all this stuff. Like, he's just, like, rambling shit that almost doesn't make sense. <laughs> so they encounter the shark when they're out there, right? So they're just, he's
1: chumming, uh, Brody's chumming the water and he's, having to do he hates it the whole time he's like he can't take the smell and uh eventually they they encounter the shark for the first time and it's like swimming
0: by um, bef- yeah before that we get the crush it like quint <laughs> have you seen this meme that's go- gone around it's like a gif and and there's like a meme online it's called crush It. i like haven't quint. seen
1: it but i know what you're talking about like where he cr- crushes the can. yeah it's yeah.
0: literally it literally says like crush it like quint and then like it shows him crushing the beer can and like the beer on his like mustache and stuff <laughs> i don't know it's um it's really funny it's cool (laughs) Uh, and apparently it's become a thing now and uh oh another set of uh another thing i want to mention with the structure they again set up the air canisters Mm -hmm. they say they have the whole conversation about how that could explode be careful around it you know and they've they've set they've actually set up the air canisters being in shark's mouth that was nothing was in the book is it shows a picture of that of a great white with a diver's tank in its mouth setting up what happens later like so much of the stuff is just so brilliantly threaded, so that when it happens, it seems believable.
1: So this time, when they see the shark, they they harpoon it and they get one of the floating barrels on it, and it but it dives and gets away. Um, and then they basically just say, like, we're gonna wait for it to come back. Quint says, we're gonna wait for it to come back. Um, and then it then it's night, and the the men are down below drinking, and and this is the scene. So, well, first off,
0: you're gonna need a bigger boat. Happens when they first see the shark, and. I think, to me, that is a famously misquoted line, right? Yeah, because like people say we're going to need a bigger boat, but it's you're going to need I, a bigger boat. I, it wasn't until this viewing where I was like, oh, shit, it's not we're going to need a boat. I, I feel like I had noticed that, and it's the same thing with Luke, I am your father, right? Like It's famously misquoted. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, he does I say think. something uh, about... He, he says he does say we're going to need a bigger boat, but he says it's, it's not... People misquote it thinking that this is when he says it. He says it as he stumbles back in there, like he talks to him for a second, and then he says we're going to need a bigger boat, right? And so like... I think people have, like put those two things together and mix them up. Yeah. The first thing he says, though, is you're going to exactly and button. that's the one the that point. people are misquoting yeah. for sure.
0: Yeah, because that's the iconic moment because that's like the first thing he says after he's seen right. the shark.
1: And that's that was ad libbed by Roy. That's yeah. awesome. It's so that was like something where he just came up with that, which is like I think it's one of the most iconic ad lib. People talk about like what are the most iconic ad lib lines? That one's always in those lists. It's nighttime, and I think at first it's just it's just Hooper down there, right? He's drinking, and then Brody comes down, and then Quint comes down after.
0: Maybe, but yeah. So, so that scene, so that scene is brilliant on many levels. Um, we're seeing, we're, we're learning stuff about these characters, and um, the Scar thing has been often imitated, right? But this is the best version of this, in my opinion, that I, that you see. I, I don't know. I feel like I've seen this scene in many other movies since, right? The Scar one-upmanship. Um, and often it's like trying to be more macho than the other person, or it's, it's a romantic thing where it's about like, get like removing clothing and, and it sets up like some romantic thing. But for these guys, it's like, it's a kind of a bit of everything. Cause it is almost romantic because what they're actually doing is they're, they're all, it's like a metaphorical lowering of defenses and they're kind of like showing each other their scars and showing each other, um, what they've been through. Um so to me it's another bonding thing, right? Like facilitated by alcohol, very male bonding. And um literally Quint and Hooper are like all upon each other. They're like they're touching, like he's like grabbing his leg, they're like they thread their legs over top each other. So in that sense, it almost is like a romance. Like it's it's them they've 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 been through something now with the shark, and they're starting to have a mutual respect for each other, and they're bonding over this. And then uh, Hooper turns it to the to the broken heart joke, right? Um, and then and then I love how Brody uh, points out or like talks about the removal of the tattoo, which opens up the story about the Indianapolis. And for those of you who don't know, this is a real thing that happened, and uh, it's insane. Like you go watch like YouTube's video videos about it and stuff. And you want to learn like all the like real facts behind it. It's a very very fascinating thing. Tragic, but fascinating and definitely by far the worst shark on human like thing that ever happened, like the by far the most people in one time killed and like all this stuff. Um, And to have Quint reveal this in this moment, it's like his deepest, darkest secret. And this is something he doesn't tell people. And he only is he's worked his way up to this moment and he, he didn't even really intend to do it. But when he does it, we immediately understand his character because his entire life and it's tragic. this is why I love this character. Mm -hmm. His entire life has been about that moment because he is a shark hunter now. You know what I mean? And like, it's like every time he goes out on the water to hunt hunt sharks, it's like he's he's fighting that moment. But you can also tell that's his biggest fear. And he says, like, I'll never put on a, a life preserver again or whatever. And that also comes through later. Um because this time I really picked up on how Quint becomes genuinely terrified yep. um, as this movie progresses. And when he turns the boat around and they, and they start going for the shallows and, and he's running the engine raw and it ends up blowing up, he's terrified in that moment. He has, he, he's not admitting it, but he's genuinely, this is his nightmare, has, has come to life. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, it's just so cool because it's like he's such a, um, he seems so invincible. But when we learn this about him, we can see that he has a weakness and it actually is this thing that we thought he's like singularly equipped to combat. Um, but it's also like that, that, and then that really sets up this, this kind of Ahab struggle we talked about, right? Where, when he blows, when he like hammer, um, takes the baseball bat to the radio, that's his moment of like, I'm going to beat this thing. Cause he's also like this whole, his whole life is about this moment that happened to him and combating it. And this is his chance. Like he, he, for him, the shark represents death. It represents that moment in his life and the tragedy of it. And revenge. And his, his battle and revenge, like him wanting to, wanting to best it and get back at it. And then the fact that he loses this, this battle is so tragic to me too. And the, all of that doesn't land in, in the same way if we don't get this story. Um, and so that's why I feel like this, this character and this, 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 uh, this story... It's just so much better in this movie. This is like one where I'm really I'm confident to say that this movie is better than the book. Oh, yeah. And this is this is why more than anything else, you know, that combined with making the characters likable um, when they otherwise weren't. I think those two things together, uh, how tight this movie is, but then like this scene really elevates this story to something, something that I think it w- quite wasn't quite in the book. I agree with you man. I mean,
1: I think you you hit on everything I would want to hit on in this in this scene. It's it's my favorite scene and it really is where you see Spielberg like tie all of the characters together and make it more than just this protection of the town. Like he turns it into more than that by making it something that's like it has historical significance to everyone at this time yeah. because it was World War II and it everybody knows about the atomic bomb. So it's like all of these all of these things threaded together to bring yeah, like you said, this amazing character moment for for an amazing character, and it it it's so fast about it too. Like it, how long is that scene? Maybe five minutes. Like like it completely encapsulates everything you would ever want to know about this person.
0: And it's a crux. This is the other thing I was setting up earlier, and when I was talking about Hooper and him, it's a crux for the change in their relationship, because not only are they getting closer, getting closer, getting closer, but the moment Quint says that he was on the Indianapolis. Hooper's expression tells us everything we need to know about what happened there. Because Brody doesn't know. He's us. Like He's like, oh, what, what happened? And you tell me. But Hooper knows. And his, his, the way he views Quint changes in, a, in an instant. You can tell. He all of a sudden has a respect for this guy and what he's been through. And like he understands. And, and all of a sudden... And you, I noticed that after this point in the, in the movie, he never butts heads with Quint again. And in fact, he kind of, it's Brody who butts heads with Quint over like breaking the, the radio and all that stuff. Not Hooper. Hooper never really questions him again. Like they're, they're on the same page for the rest of the movie for the most part.
1: Other than him like blowing the engine out. Yeah, but he yells at that. him about
0: the engine. You're right. Yeah. But for the most part, like he, yeah, but, but actually you're right because that's an important part because I think in that moment, Hooper takes over. Like He actually takes over as, as our hero yeah. because that's when he decides he's going to go down in the cage. Mm-hmm and and Quint is is has is handed him he's handing them the life preservers he's like almost given up in this moment yeah and then he turns to Hooper and he says what can these contraptions do cuz the things that he knows ha- hasn't worked at that point in the movie right and so he's he's like he's throwing in the towel like he doesn't know what to do he's terrified and he turns to Hooper for leadership and and that's when Hooper decides he's going to go down in the cage is like a last ditch thing and it, like that that moment works so much better in the film than it does in the book because in the book he just wants to go down and basically view the shark out of curiosity, right? In the movie, it's like, "Oh, he knows how dangerous this is and that he's probably going to die, but this um stabbing it with the with the with the injection is like the last ditch hope. Like this is the only thing we got left, so I got to try it." Um so he, it's a truly a heroic moment that he when he goes down in there. Man, it's just yeah, and 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 I think that's so important the fact that he kind of takes over leadership from Quint in that moment um, and the new the knowledge becomes import, more important than the experience I guess in that scenario and and we also see Quint he he's laid low by this like his nightmare has come to life yeah you know and and, and it, I think it especially it comes to a head when the when the shark dives with uh, submerges with three barrels. Mm-hmm. Cause he said it was impossible. He's so yeah, he's so adamant about it. Not with three barrels, you don't. It'll never happen. And when that happens, like I think that's right before he tries to take it into the shallows. And at that moment, he's not. He's really just running away. Right. And and it's because when that happens, all of a sudden he's like, this isn't anything I've ever dealt with before. Yeah. So I mean, you. I don't know. It's God, so good. yeah. It's it's amazing. As you could tell, it like, worked me up. Like I had so much notes about this. Like I was so excited to talk about this this stuff because. It's so it's so brilliant, right. and this is this is
1: the part. This is why this movie is incredible, right? This is the second half when they're on the water. On we need the first half to to establish the characters, establish the setting, and get, get motivation and
0: all of that. But this second half is yeah. why this movie is legendary. It's really the third act is is just yeah. It's, I don't know. It's brilliant. It's, uh, I say that a lot, but it's, 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 uh, it's legendary. It's amazing.
1: So le- so basically, you, you touched on everything. I'm just going to really quickly go over. At night, the shark attacks the boat, knocks out the power. They have to work all night to get
0: the power back on. When they get the power back on... We should talk also about how um, uh, famously uh, the actor was drunk <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> um, for like half the takes in this, in this, when they're having that conversation. And um, he was like so drunk that he was, he was messing up, so they had to shoot it again like, the next day and have him be sober. But then they ended up keeping some of the drunk takes and then some of the sober takes. Um, And supposedly there is, like, a way you can tell. I didn't notice it, but supposedly you can tell by, like, how flushed his cheeks are. Yeah. Like, when he's actually drunk and when he's actually sober crazy i know i knew that
1: that they had to reshoot it but i thought that they used the entire because from what i understand is it took all day for them to try to shoot this monologue and he was all drunk and then the first time he tried to do the monologue the next day he nailed it all the way through so it's like i think the drunk stuff was when he was like messing with hooper and then after and that's yes
0: yeah, I agree. I think the Indianapolis stuff is all sober. Yeah. I agree, but it's it's. I think it's a lot of the scar and like setting up and like the initial stuff. He like you can look at him and like that guy's fucking blitzed. Like you For can sure. tell, and some of that's just real. Like
1: he really was. Yeah, which is crazy to think about because they're on the ocean too. So he's just an actor on the ocean getting
0: drunk and then also having to film. And it was like he he um he like um, refused to drink like prop alcohol. Yeah. He was like, so he was like drinking real alcohol for all the takes in which he was drinking something. Like all the beer and everything was all mm-hmm. real. So the next day when they, when they get up after getting the power to, to work
1: again, the, the shark comes back and they're able to spear it with two more barrels. Like you said, there's three barrels at this point and they tie mm-hmm. it up to the boat, but the, it breaks the cleats off the back of the boat. So like the thing that they're tying it onto, it breaks those off. And then this is when he's like, holy shit and guns it and tries to go to the shore. Um, the engine goes out and then the shark comes up on them and uh, this is when he gets in the cage, goes down, yep. is attacked while he's in the cage and drops the spear, um, and ha- basically is able to escape the attack and go hide. And then the, and then that's when the great white jumps up on the ship and, and takes out the
0: back of the ship. The scene, man, this fucking scene. Did you, I, I don't know, like, I hope that you love the scene as much as I do because it's incredible. The, the, the score disappears. Mm-hmm during this scene. But it was jolting, like, it, jolting was, like it wasn't like it ended like and like died out. It was like boom, ended. And when the shark jumps on the boat and everything, there's no music cue. There's nothing. And then it creates this nightmare scenario of like a tilted deck with a snapping jaws and him literally sliding inevitably towards it and we just talked about how metaphorically and realistically this is this is his nightmare, this is the thing he's been terrified of and how the shark represents so much to him. And when that happens, we hear Quint like his breathing is so convincingly terrified, and like the way he's like slapping around and like trying to get purchased and he can't and he's trying to hold his hand and he can't, and his breathing just gets faster and faster, and then how brutal it is when like he gets to the mouth and he's like kind of kicking against it, but then it gets a hold of him, man, that scene I don't know it's 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 amazing like there's certain scenes in cinema that that the the pers- the the filmmaker just knew how affecting and, and just went for broke like I turned it up to 11 and made this as visceral and terrifying a scene as he possibly could I'll tell a brief story Paul Tremblay uh was a guest of honor at um workshop I was just at yeah in your right mind and he told a story about this scene in particular and it says that to this day he can't watch this scene actually play out like he has to look away wow. um because it because we saw it when he was young and it just like made such an effect on him. And he's a horror writer. Like this is what this guy writes horror novels. Mm-hmm. And like this scene of all scenes is like something he can't watch. Something for me that I that I mean, I, I always try to put myself
1: in the shoes of a filmmaker and think like, oh, was this the right shot selection? Did I like this? This scene is incredible because we start inside the cabin. And so and we're like things are sliding out of the cabin and Brody's in there and and Quint is in there. And as as things are sliding out. You're inside, and then we cut to the outside, and this is when he's like sliding out. And it's—I agree. It's just—it's—it's it's really well shot. It's paying off this this moment that we knew was kind of could could parse through and realize was coming, because it's it's like a full circle thing. Like it's coming back around to the fate that he escaped. He eventually fell into anyway, and I—it's amazing. Yeah. It's it's such a good scene.
0: Yeah. It's tragic, and uh, to to come all this way and then still get killed by a shark, right? Yeah. Uh, but also, this is the most gruesome shark attack. Like this is this is kind of like what you might have expected you were going to see more of when you when you came for this movie. Yeah. This is when we see a shark literally eating a dude, mm-hmm. <laughs> and and this is like the first time we see it. And it's really. it's good too. It's 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 not like you would think like oh it's it's, it's props, but it looks great and I buy it. It reminded me of stuff we saw in The Thing. Where, like, you could tell, like, the torso being, like, like ripped open. Because he's getting bit in half, basically. Mm-hmm. And um, the way the blood's just, like, coming out of it. Like, it looked very convincing. I agree. And it fills that. When, like, the water all gets just, like, soaked in blood um, on that deck. Like, it's such an iconic moment. In film and just, I mean, I, I feel like I say that a lot, but we've been covering a lot of iconic films. Yeah. So. <laughs> Maybe when we stop <laughs> covering icon- iconic films, we'll stop saying things are iconic. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good, man. And yeah. uh,
1: speaking of which, Brody being trapped in the boat as it's sinking and then the shark just slamming in through the side of the boat and then shoving the, yeah, the, you- the scuba tank
0: in the shark's mouth. It's just, it's... It- yeah. And and so we talked about this in the book. Um, the the Quint is, is Brody's safety net. And he gets taken away, and then we thought that both 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 of us thought that the book didn't quite deliver on that. Like it had a moment where it could have maybe done more with it. The movie does it. Even though there's not a lot of time after that goes by, it's like five minutes. But we see Brody have to come up with a way to kill a shark, climb up on the crow's nest, um, handle he's handling he's climbing on a sideways crow's nest with a rifle and you know what I mean? Like and like this jabby stick he's gonna use. So he's being really um uh, able, right like he's 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 masterful in this moment like he's 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 rising to the occasion right and he takes on like because Hooper's gone Brody's gone both the experts are gone it's just Brody now and it's him versus the shark and and he comes out on top you know and and uh, I think it really allows him to have his moment to shine definitely and it's like I said it's that full
1: he he and 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 even it's made even more um, impactful at the end when Hooper reemerges from the water and, and then they're on the raft pushing towards the shore and he says, I used to hate the water. And it's like, he used to hate the water and this experience should, should push him further into hating the water. But it's like, he respects it now and he realizes what, what it, it is to him.
0: Yeah, I think he's conquered his fear. Right. It's, 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 he's actually, it's kind of the opposite of, of um, Quint because Quint came up against his fear and lost and but brody came up against his fear and won so i think at this point like what he i i don't know I, and they, like why would you like he, there's nothing left in the sea to be for him to be afraid of like he just conquered it you know what i mean like at that point he's like he's good like he's golden and then
1: yeah and like it's it's great it's a great ending and i'm so glad that hooper didn't die apparently originally he was he was meant to die even in the film script Um, but what happened, there were some complications with the cage and there's supposed to be a dummy in the cage during the shark attack and the dummy like fell out or something. So the only footage they had was of an empty cage. So they put it in there where Hooper escapes. Wow.
0: Yeah. Um, that's something that famously happens in the book. We talked about it. Hooper gets killed. Very different character in the book though. This character I think needed to live. It's, it's nice to see that, um, it would be, he would be way sadder if he had died. Um, but instead, um, some of that bonding pays off and that we feel like, I don't know, you feel like these guys are going to be lifelong friends now, right? After this happens. And, um, yeah, that, that, that kind of brings it back around. God, I, I'm sorry. I just remembered one more thing. when we talked about score and just how brilliant, uh, the, the filmmaking is. I gotta stop saying that word, but it's fitting for this movie when they shoot the third barrel. when they, when they're shooting the, I think it's the second or third barrel, um the music all of a sudden returns to this like high adventure and everybody's smiling and like hooper's happy and brody's yelling and they're like shooting at it and the movie is telling you with everything it can like this movie like they've got it on the run they've got this thing on the ropes like they're gonna win like we're this is exciting this has become a movie about besting this monster and like everything's gonna go fine and then it all goes to shit right yeah so you like set up you set it up to where when the fall happens it's even more dramatic because at that point you you, you feel like they they're going to win. They've got this thing. And then, you know, they don't. So <laughs> so or at least not to the very much much harder than it seems like it's going to be at that moment. Yeah. It's just brilliant. It's cool, man. Like everything's done with such intention, mm-hmm. right? Like it's so tight this movie. Oh, I did want to briefly mention this is so I'm in a I'm in a Facebook group that's de- um I joined like a little while ago. Shout out to anybody if they happen to listen to this um who's in it as well, but it's de- dedicated to Jaws. Like people just love Jaws. And um, one of the things I saw on there was about the shooting star. And um, I noticed it this time because I I was looking for it at night whenever they had night scenes. And there is a shooting star. It goes from right to left across across the camera as they're looking up at Brody as he's like loading his gun. And just like the, the, the fact that that was real and that he happened to catch it. In that shot, in that way, to where it literally passed from right to left across the camera, like, like across the screen. Like, how like lucky is that? Like, it's insane. It's crazy, that that and
1: I, I um, I didn't notice it until a few viewings ago. But I had seen the movie so many times, and I saw that, and I was like, "Did they add that in as like a special edition feature thing?" And I like, come to find out, it's always been there, and it, it was real. And I mean, it's unbelievable. It's like, it's like. Even if that take had been bad, you have to use that take because a meteor flew through it. You know what I mean?
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, you got to use that take. <laughs> yeah, and then um, and then, so apparently I read this on, I mean, this is just somebody's blog or something, but I read that um, apparently Spielberg has said that like he witnessed a meteor very early in life, and that's what inspired him to make uh, Close Encounters of the Third mm-hmm. Kind. And um, it, was, it was so magical to him almost, right? Like this other world. And so, apparently, that there are Easter eggs in, in certain of his films where you can see digitally added shooting stars. Wow. That he'll, like, put, subtly put in the background. Um, And I saw a list of the movies. That it, but it wasn't, like, every movie. But that's a lot of the movies he's made. But also, this is apparently the first time it showed up in his movie. And then maybe it, like, um, although I don't know. I don't know if that's true. But this one was real so it was so interesting that that's like a, that's like a motif that he likes but then also it just happened to be that it's way fate, this time right it's very it's the cool hands of fate right yeah hands of fate i uh i'll be interested
1: to see what what other movies he has as a shooting star and i also want to say that richard Dreyfus in this movie makes as soon as i finished it i was like i'm watching third uh close encounters of the third kind soon because i just absolutely oh, love yeah. him in that movie too and and great Steven Spielberg, not necessarily a companion piece to Jaws, but like same filmmaker, another of the leads is in it. So it's just, I don't know. I highly recommend that movie too. It's great.
0: So uh, the smile you son of a bitch line um, is a very famous like one liner. I mean, I don't know if you want to call it a one liner, but like so many uh, other action movies have had this sort of line. But I know that this is kind of a pre, like this is predates a lot of Mm -hmm. that. Um, but I don't know. How did how did it strike you? Does it seem does it seem too too, too cheesy, or does it seem does so? It so this kind of thing does bother
1: me if it if it's like a whole movie of this kind of stuff. But I think sometimes yeah. it's earned. To the I don't enjoy it when it happens usually. Um, yeah. But it does It's kind of that that like it's not it's not a ding for me. Like I'm just like okay, yeah. this, like that's what you wanted it to be, and I can understand people seeing that and being like that was awesome. I'm glad that he said that. It's not something I go in for, but I understand why it would be in there. And also, I think this movie earned the right to do some stuff like that.
0: Absolutely. Earned is a great way to put it. I think this movie, with we talked about the humor earlier, right? We talked about how it can be at times a little bit campy and, and, and how I think that all sets up a moment like this where it's maybe not realistic that he would say that. But in this movie, it makes sense. Also, it's him rubbing, it's him like kind of rubbing it in the face of this shark. And when I think about how the shark wins versus Quint, and for the most part has been for the most part has been unstoppable that I think it actually makes that moment just a little bit sweeter to not only beat the shark, but to also like rub it in his face by calling it a son of a bitch, yeah. right? Yeah. I don't know. It, I, th- I agree. I think it works for this movie.
1: So before we go, I have something I wanted to tell you about the writer, Peter Benchley okay. uh, and kind of his time on set. Uh, but we'll save that for the end. It's very interesting because he's the author and he is involved in this film in some way.
0: Okay, color me intrigued.
1: (laughs) So this week we wanted to thank our patron, Colton B. He's actually a friend of mine. He's over on Watch, Review, Repeat, which is a great podcast. I highly recommend you check it out. Uh, I've been on there before, and I know in the future we'll be working with them. So yeah, check that out. And thank you to Colton for being a patron.
0: Yeah, thanks so much, Colton. Um, it's been cool to see that their podcast started around the same time as ours, you know. So it's 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 always going to be fun to, to see how they progress and how how they change over time as well. Yeah, so hap- actually they just had their 50th episode as well. So happy 50th to them. Yeah, happy 50th to Colton and, and and Andrew. So if you'd like to connect with us, you can reach out to us on social media, uh Facebook. Instagram, Twitter, run all three at ink to film. uh you can also send us an email uh, ink to film at gmail.com dot uh, give us some feedback about this episode. did you enjoy it did you was there anything that we missed that you'd like to talk to us about? Um, I'd definitely would love to read more about this movie. You can tell I really liked it so um, yeah, feel free to keep connect with us. we'd love to uh, to talk with you
1: and if you also wanted to help us out, you could leave a rating or review on iTunes or Stitcher, Google Play Store, wherever you listen to the podcast. That really helps us out and l- helps other people find our podcast. So we'd appreciate that. Also, thank you to Spark and Optimistic for the use of our intro and outro music. And with that, I think it's time for me to tell you about Peter Benchley and his his time on set. I'm so ready. did you know that he was he had a cameo role? I did know that actually.
0: I read that. He uh He was like the interviewer or something. Okay, he yeah, like- he was on
1: the beach. He was he was like the the news
0: correspondent. Oh, the guy who says but, like this community has been terrified yes. by a shark. That was him.
1: Okay, cool. Yeah, that was him. And also, he was on set helping with the writing and things like that mm-hmm. throughout. And he was so upset by the ending that Spielberg was going with that he had to be forcibly removed from set.
0: Wait, wait, wait. wait. So, so he was upset that by them. What part of it, Spielberg? You know? Like uh, the?
1: I think it's the exploding shark wait. thing. Like a lot of that stuff. He was like,
0: no, and he was not having it. And they were like, get him off set. So he was really behind his um his like Ahab moment, I guess he really wanted that, huh? I guess because so. in the book, in the just... book, um, Quint gets pulled down, like his body gets pulled down by the shark as it dies. Is it just like succumbs to its wounds? Um, yeah, very different.
1: So I just thought it was interesting that he was on board with a lot of the changes and then completely like physically against the things that That's were happening crazy, at the man. end.
0: It's so I mean like it's so rare that a that an author is on set like that. Um, yeah. but then yeah maybe that's one of the why not to do it <laughs> he's gonna make himself a fucking make a scene about some change like yeah yeah anyway cool i like it we do want to announce our next project um which we probably should have done earlier in the episode but oh well uh we're gonna be doing sharp objects by gillian flynn i think that's how we say her name i'll look it up before next time um maybe gillian flynn not really sure um, but the HBO series right now on each, um, about Sharp Objects um, starring Amy Adams, you know, it looks really cool. Um, so we're going to do the book in two parts, and then I think we're going to spend three parts on that show and divvy up the epi- episodes and just do a real deep dive. So if you're at all interested in uh, continuing with us and, 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 and listening to us talk about something that's coming out right now, that's what we're going to be doing next.
1: Looking forward to it. I've been, ha- I've been really restraining myself because the show has started. So I'm really excited to get started on that project. But until then, I'm James. And I'm Luke. See you next time.